Thank you, David. I uh, hope that you guys have enjoyed our service today. I, I hope that you've been blessed as we've been able to participate in the Lord's Supper. I hope you've been moved and touched by our songs today as we've sung praises to Him. Hopefully that's made you be excited about opening up God's Word with me this morning. Uh, if that brings you excitement, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab out your Bible. I hope you brought that with you today. And open up to the book of Philippians as we are going through this book. As you're turning there, I, I want to open up our time today by asking you uh, a question. And the question is this. The question I want you to think of as we open it up our text is this. How, how do you deal with unmet expectations? Just think about that for a moment. How, how do you deal with unmet expectations? To, to put it another way for you, are you the type of person who is easygoing, uh, who is laid back, who's not phased when something doesn't go according to plan, or are you the type of person who's more high-strung, who's uptight, who's bothered when things don't turn out the way that you expect them to? I'll be honest, as I've reflected on this in my own life, I would say, me personally, I fall, I believe, somewhere in the middle uh, of those two categories of people. I would like to think of myself at least as being laid back for the most part and easing going, but I also realize that there are times in my life uh, when I can become easily irritated, uh, sometimes downright upset when certain things don't go the way that I think they should or things don't play out how I think they should. For example, a, a while back I was in Starkville visiting uh, some of Victoria's side of the family and uh, we were at their parents' house and noticing that her dad got a brand new grill uh, I began to drop some, let's just say, hints that, hey, you know, Bill, we should, uh, we should break in this new grill um, by grilling some just nice, juicy steaks next time I, I come down. And so we talked about that for a little bit. Well, a few, weeks, a few weeks went by, and we came back down for a visit. And wouldn't you know it, to my surprise, not only had Victoria's parents caught on to my hints, but they actually listened to my request. They, they told me that it was such a good idea that they got a steak, and that since it was my idea, that I would be the only one getting a steak that night. Well, you can imagine I was pretty elated at that, and so I sat down at my spot on the table, and listen, they really did, uh, really outdid themselves here, because not only did they cook me a steak, uh, but they cooked it, and, and they brought it out on a fancy platter. Uh, they covered it in one of those really ornate Metal covers, you know what I'm talking about? So you can imagine, right, at this point, my mouth is watering. Like, I cannot wait for what's about to happen. So I'm like, let's just say the prayer. Maybe I said the prayer. I can't remember. I was so excited. I put the napkin in my lap because that's what you're supposed to do, though I didn't care about that. I care about the steak. I lift off this metal plate cover, but instead of finding a succulent, juicy 12-ounce ribeye, do you know what I was greeted by? A 6-ounce shriveled-up hungry man steak instead that had apparently been heated up in the microwave. All right, to say that I was upset at that expectation of what I was expecting to get would be an understatement. Okay, and if any of you guys try to try that on me, it's, it's on, okay? Don't, don't even go there. But, but listen, on, on a more serious note, the point that I'm trying to make is that all of us could probably think of a time in our own lives, when we got mad, or when we got, we got irritated that something didn't go the way that we thought it should. For example, maybe for some of you, it's, it's when uh, something happens at work. Let's say that maybe a coworker messes up, but you're the one 
that gets blamed for their mistake. Or maybe it's your boss as he's not given you the promotion or the, or the bonus or the raise that you think you earned and have deserved. For, for others of you, maybe it's your spouse or your kids not doing the things that you think they ought to do. Husbands, maybe for you, it's you find yourself getting uh, mad and irritated and upset when your wife doesn't clean up the house the way that you think she should. Wives, maybe for you, maybe you get upset with your husband for getting uh, upset with you saying that you are the one to clean the house because it's not just the woman's job, it's the man's job too. Right? Ladies, can I get just an amen? But, and then there's kids. Then there's kids. Right? It, it, listen, I'm a parent. I love kids. I love kids. I love my kids. I love my children. But can we just be honest and say that if we expect them to meet our expectations, then we are always just going to be in an eternal state of frustration and just being upset? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have told my kids to do a certain thing, to go clean their room or to go make their bed, and then two minutes later or five minutes later passes by and they have not done a single chore that I've asked them to you see, I think all of us can agree that in general, we struggle to deal with unmet expectations in our lives. And if we're being honest, if we're being honest, I would say that for most of us, it, it takes away our joy. Or it can even steal our joy altogether. But what I want you to see is that the man who wrote this letter, this book, he dealt with some of the most obscure and, and just grand unmet expectations in his life than anyone else did in this room. Yet he did not let that steal his joy, but he actually allowed that to be a reason he rejoiced. Let me show you. Let's look at our text this morning, which is found in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Again, Paul's talking here, and he's going to say this. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, again, that's the Philippian believers that he's writing to here, that what has happened to me, which for Paul, as we know, was wrong, wrongfully being put in prison, has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. You see, Paul wasn't phased when his expectations were not met. His goal was not prison ministry. Uh, his goal, that what he envisioned for himself, was not to be locked up in some jail, but to instead freely travel and share the love of Christ with a lost world. After all, is that not what Paul deserved? Is that not what someone like Paul deserved? He was an apostle. He was an evangelist. He was a church planner. He was a missionary, so if anyone deserved to have their expectations met, it was him, right? You and I both know that's not how the story goes. Instead, Paul, he finds himself being wrongfully convicted and locked up in prison. And in the back of his mind, Paul knows that this very well may be the beginning of the end of his life, which again would not have been the expectation that he had preconceived in his mind. Yet for Paul, he was still able to have a joy, wasn't he? We see evidence of that in verse 18 as he's going to go on to say that he rejoices in his unmet expectations, not once, but twice. And really, when you think about it, this four-chapter four letter was not written to the Philippian believers so they could mourn over Paul's unmet circumstances and his, and his, uh, his current circumstances, but it was written so that they too could have a joy just as Paul is demonstrating here in the text. Church, I'm not going to lie to you. 
if I were Paul and I was wrongfully put in prison knowing that I very well may be executed for my faith, like Paul, I would write each of you a letter. But unlike Paul, my letter would not be four chapters. Instead, my letter would be five words. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get, get me out of here because this is, this is not where I belong. Uh, get me out of here because this is not what I deserve. Uh, get me out of here because this is not what I had envisioned. These were not my expectations. And get me out of here because this cannot be God's plan and will for my life. Church, how, how many times do we pray these same prayers when something doesn't go the way we think it should? When, when something doesn't play out the way that we expect it to in life? For example, how many times do we pray these prayers when we or a loved one gets bedridden and sick? How, how many times do we pray these prayers when we, when we lose our job? Or when we struggle to make ends meet, not knowing what the future holds. How many times do we pray these prayers when we feel forgotten, neglected, abused, alone? And how many times do we pray these prayers when our expectations are not in bed? We find ourselves struggling to stay afloat in the daily flow of life. You see, we panic, don't we? We, we panic when life throws us a curveball that we did not expect. We, we desperately cry out to God to, to come and rescue us out of this situation that we're in because in our mind, how could we have joy if he doesn't? But you see, the beauty of this passage, the beauty of this passage that we just read is that it shows us that when we do experience those unmet expectations, when we do find our places in life that we never imagined that we would actually go or experience those expectations, those realities that bring us sufferings and, and hardships and pains, Paul shows us we can still have a joy. And in this text, he shows us how we can do that in one primary way. Just one point today, though, it's going to have multi-parts, so don't get your hopes up. Just one point, though, okay? So go ahead and, and get those notes out. Write these down, okay? Because the first, the major point that I'm really going to talk about, I'm going to break this down for the rest of our time today. But according to Paul... The primary way that we can maintain joy even in the midst of the unmet expectations of life is by putting the gospel first. How to maintain joy in the unmet expectations of life. You, you put the gospel first. While Paul had a laundry list of problems that he could have written down, he could have complained about in his letter, he never once took the liberty to do such a thing. For starters, he could have complained about being wrongfully trialed, convicted, put in prison. Related to that, he could have complained about his living conditions, his restriction of freedom, and ultimately his fate, as it was going to be put into the emperor's hands, who, by the way, hated and persecuted Christians. But notice, not one time in this letter does Paul dwell on those realities or ask for sympathy. Instead, he stays focused on his mission, which for Paul was putting the gospel first in his life, even when his expectations were not met or his circumstances changed. You see, for Paul, listen to this, for Paul, his secret to joy, to finding joy, maintaining joy, it was quite simple, really. He did it by staying focused less on himself, less on his circumstances, and staying more focused on Jesus instead. 
In other words, Paul made the gospel the focus of his life. Which meant that even when things took a turn for the worse, even when Paul was met with these realities that he had not preconceived in his mind, he could still find joy in those situations of life. For example, in any circumstance that Paul ever found himself in, which were quite a few, Paul would internally ask himself some questions. He would ask in his mind, can the gospel still be preached, even though my environment and my circumstances have changed? If so, I will rejoice. Is Jesus still the Lord and Savior of my life, even though my future is now uncertain? If so, I will rejoice. Are people coming to know Christ, even through my own sufferings, even through my own pains? If so, I will rejoice. Church, though life may be hard and curveballs may be sometimes thrown our way, when we keep our eyes focused on Christ, we have reason to sing. We can rejoice when we're criticized. We can rejoice when we feel neglected, when the diagnosis looks grim. We can rejoice even when we don't know how we're going to make those ends meet. We can rejoice in any and all circumstances of life because when we put the gospel first, we can trust and know that we are in the center of God's will. You see, in this passage, Paul's going to show us that if we do this, if we put the gospel first in our lives, even in those unmet expectations of life, a couple of things are going to happen that will bring us joy. Number one, he shows us that when we put the gospel first, we can find joy in knowing that God's mission is still being accomplished. When we put the gospel first in our life, even in those tough and hard circumstances, we can know that God's mission is being accomplished. Look at how Paul shows us this in the text in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. You see, while Paul's present situation here, it seems dire, it seems bleak, in many ways it was, Paul knew that if he focused on Christ, he could actually help and spread the gospel even while he was in chains. In other words, instead of living freely, the most powerful, well-known Christian missionary was allowed by God to be imprisoned, but it was actually through his imprisonment that the sovereign Lord was advancing the gospel and making it known. And for Paul, he rejoiced when he realized that was the case, even in the difficulties of life. Church, I'll be the first to admit to you that I don't know. I do not know why God chooses certain believers to suffer. I think it's a question that all of us ask from time to time, and I wish I had an answer for you. I simply do not. But what I do know, based upon this passage and other passages in the Bible, is that oftentimes God uses our suffering to advance the gospel in the lives of other people. For example, as heartbroken, listen, as heartbroken as I am for Ansley, as heartbroken as I am for the Thompson family, for what they're having to endure, what they're suffering with, going through so much pain right now. I also know that God is using it to make His name known. I know that He is using Ansley and her family to shine a light on the one that can give peace and joy, even when life seems so uncertain. I know that God is using Ansley and the Thompson family right now to to share their faith with the nurses, with the doctors, 
with the other patients as they read scriptures, as they pray out loud to, to God, as they openly talk about their faith. And honestly, I know that, that Ansley is making a difference in my own walk and probably your walk as well because I am inspired by her courage to keep on trusting in God even in the midst of her storm. Listen, jot this down because I think this thought is important. Because God is sovereign and is advancing His gospel, we should view our circumstances, whether they're good or bad, whether the expectation is met or not, as opportunities to share and display our faith. Because God is sovereign, He's always advancing His gospel. He is always at work in our life, in the good and bad, on the mountaintop, in the valley, in the met expectation, but also unmet expectations. We can use our opportunities to share and display our faith. Church, live with the mindset of Christ. Believe that, that whatever comes your way, you can actually use it. To make his name known, it's a platform for you to use and trust. Trust that whatever happens to you, whether it be unexpected or not, that he, you can use it to advance the kingdom of God. Like Paul, that will bring you joy. And then secondly, Paul is going to show us another way that we can experience joy. When we put the gospel first in our lives, he's going to show us that whatever happens to us, we can know and believe that people are hearing the gospel. People are hearing the gospel when we put the gospel first in our lives. Look at our text again as Paul shows us this. Let's begin in verse 12 again because it will make sense a little bit better that way. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. You see, even though Paul was held captive as a prisoner when he wrote this letter, he also realized that he had a captive audience as well. And the Roman guards, as they watched over him, as they made sure that he could not escape. For Paul, this gave him joy because he now realized that he actually now had an opportunity to share the gospel with a group of people that he likely would not have a chance to. And for Paul, this opportunity would have been huge because as I've done research and read up on commentaries, they say that there was around 9,000 imperial guards in Rome at that time. According to verse 13, Paul says that he was able to, to go on and share the gospel with many of these guards. It's likely that not only was it guards that he was sharing this gospel with, but, but high-ranking officers and officials and diplomats as he's in Rome, and Paul was able to impact them as well. And again, what this should show us is that Paul is not only putting the gospel above his own circumstances, above his, his own physical needs, but that he is consumed with the gospel. He's looking for any and every opportunity to bring it up in everyday conversation wherever he can. In fact, in this very short letter, Paul explicitly mentions the gospel nine times. He shows us that the secret to joy is when we put the gospel first in our relationships, in our, in our circumstances, and really just in our day-to-day -day lives. And so with that in mind, let me just ask you a very personal question today that I want each of you to answer internally. And the question is this, how often do you openly talk about the gospel in your daily life? 
How often do, do you openly, openly talk about the gospel in your daily life? While you're considering that, let me share with you a thought from D.A. Carson. He once said this about this subject. He said, what should tie Christians together? What do we talk about when we meet for lunch, even after a church service? Mere civilities? The weather? Sports? Our careers and children? Our, our aches and pain? None of these topics should be excluded from the conversation of Christians, of course. In sharing all of life, these things will inevitably come up. But what must tie us together as Christians is the passion for the gospel. It's the passion of sharing in the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel on the face of it. Nothing else is strong enough to hold together the extraordinary diversity of people who constitute many churches. Church family, perhaps our failure to talk about the gospel to unbelievers is tied to our lack of faith of talking about the gospel to anyone, including believers. Paul, on the other hand, is showing that he is consumed with Christ. He's consumed with the gospel. He is intentionally and consistently talking about Jesus to the unbelieving Roman guard and at the same time encouraging and talking about it with the Philippian believers. So yes, while we as Christians, we should be involved in church, we should be involved in in other noble things, let us, like Paul, be a gospel person first. Listen, if you're fighting slavery, if you're feeding the homeless, if if you're caring for the poor, the widow, and the orphan, do it with the good news of Jesus on your lips. Take all opportunities you have in life, whether in the good or bad, the unmet or or the met expectations. Use them to speak wisely, winsomely, compassionately, and fearlessly so that others may come to know him as a result. Church, when you do that, like Paul, that is going to give you true meaning and purpose. It's going to give you a joy. And guess what? Guess what? A a byproduct of you doing that right there is going to lead you to one last truth that Paul shows us in this text. And that is that when you put the gospel first in your life, other people will begin to speak the gospel as a result. This is the third implication of Paul's teaching here that when you put the gospel first, other people will begin to speak the gospel as a result of those things. And I love how Paul is going to show us and demonstrate that in the text. Let me show you. Look at verse 14 now. Paul says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. From him fearlessly sharing the gospel, even in those unmet expectations. And as a result, look at what it says. They dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Church, do you understand what Paul is getting at here? He's saying that when others heard about his brave witness in the Roman prison, they were inspired to greater faithfulness as a result. See, the, the first result of Paul's imprisonment, it related to those on the outside. Those who were not yet believers, the the Roman guards, the diplomats, the people that he talked about in prison. But now Paul is mentioning another way that God is using these circumstances. He's using his situation for those who are in the inside. Those, Those who are believers. Those who are part of the church in Rome and beyond. In other words, the family of faith was being built up by Paul's afflictions here. And the takeaway for us is this. 
persecuted Christians, the Christians who suffer and go through tremendous trials and difficulties, oftentimes inspire more timid believers to get out of their comfort zone and to share their faith as a result. For example, a few weeks back, I talked to you about a missionary, Jim Elliott. Many of you know Jim Elliott. I've talked to you about him a few times now. Uh, He was brutally killed on the beaches of Ecuador, he and four missionary friends. And listen, as tragic as that was, the beauty of it is that his boldness and his missionary partners to go and share their faith, even in in the midst of such great difficulty and suffering, it actually inspired a large group of seminary students to go and to go and, and dedicate their own lives to go overseas and to share the love of Christ as well. And you see, in a similar way, that's what's happening right here in the text. That's what, that's what Paul's afflictions are doing. Right? In, in other words, there were Christians who were becoming more confident, more bold, and as Paul says, were speaking fearlessly the word of God and sharing their faith, all as a result of watching Paul go through this and still maintain a joy and a passion to share the gospel and to put it first in his life. Church, don't miss the focus on courage and boldness in this verse as well as the rest of the chapter. For example, in verse 20, we're going to see Paul say that he's not ashamed of boldly proclaiming Christ no matter what happens to him. And then in verse 28, we're going to go on to see him tell the Philippian believers to not be frightened and to boldly live their life out for the gospel as well. In other words, the book of Philippians, it should cause us to pray. It should cause us to pursue many different Christian qualities, but one of them is courage. We should have courage. Like Paul, we should have courage. Courage to go out and boldly share our faith. Like Paul, we should have courage to live fearlessly and proclaim the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. So church, let us be a people who prays for great courage to make the gospel known. Let us think of the afflictions of Paul and and other missionaries and other believers that we know And let them inspire us to live a life worthy of the gospel just as they have shown. And let us not to forget to put the gospel first in our lives, even in the midst of our sufferings, even in the midst of our pains, our difficulties. Because when we do, we will find meaning. We will find value. We will find purpose. Friend, we will find joy. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't. I know for some of you, maybe I do to a degree, but for many of you, as I look out today, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what type of unmet expectation that you're experiencing in your life is causing you some sort of, again, pain or suffering. What I do know What I do know is that if you choose to put the gospel first in your life, even in those circumstances, God's going to honor that. He's like Paul. He's going to use you in ways that you cannot even comprehend. So listen, would you bow your heads and with every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're here in person, even if you're watching online today, I want you to bow your head with me. I want to ask you a question this morning. The question is this. Will you vow to live fearlessly for the Lord? To share and display the gospel in whatever situation you find yourself in? 
even in those situations that are not met in your eyes, even in those situations where you thought, how in the world am I here? God, why are you doing this? Well, you vow to put the gospel first even in those places. Even in your pain, even in your suffering, even in your, your trials, your tribulations, will you vow to live courageously for God? Just as Paul did, will you vow that his mission will be accomplished through your life? Like Paul, will you vow to, to share the gospel so that others may be able to, to hear this message of, of hope, of forgiveness, of peace and salvation, even when it seems impossible to have those things? Will you vow to live a life worthy of this good news so that as a result, those around you may be impacted by your witness, be emboldened to share their faith with others just as you vow to do as well? Listen, if you prayed those prayers, if you've devoted yourself to those things, will you just do me a favor this morning? Will you just slip up your hand in a display of just public commitment of, of, God, I want to live a life like that? Just raise your hand. Amen. Praise God. Let me pray with you as we close out our time today.